never really thought of myself as a creative type. From my days studying law to my career as a, an insurance loss assessor with my head in policy wordings, the arc of my story has somehow seemed rather dry. That is, of course, until I discovered my love of podcasting, whilst flat on my back in a hospital bed some three years ago, as it was in that London hospital bed where my very first creative seed was germinated. Today, some people tell me I'm a creative, that I've actually come up with an idea, something from nothing, and had the audacity to put it out there. As Brene Brown says, there's a deep connection between finding meaning in one's life and creativity. This week's wonderful guest is a natural creative, Chrissy Levitt, London-based creative director, who studied graphic design and communications at the Royal College of Art right here in London. She's won a number of industry awards for branding, is a TEDx speaker, newly published author, believing creative thinking is vital for us to solve the world's greatest challenges. Now founder and CEO for Creative Conscience, a global movement set up to encourage, reward, train and support creative thinkers to use their talents for social and environmental impact. I love this conversation and being around creative people. It just makes me feel uplifted and inspired. And wherever you are on your life journey, it's never too late to start writing your very own creative story. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is Your London Legacy. I've got a special offer for you. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that at the end of each interview, we ask our guests to tell us one or two of their favourite places in London that is personal to them and perhaps not everybody knows about. Well, I've now compiled for you 60 of my guests' favourite places in London, and you can get this unique brochure 100% free. Alongside each guest recommendation is a brief quote explaining why they love the place, a lovely picture of it, plus links to the venue and the podcast episode itself so you can check it out in your own time. It's completely free and all you have to do is go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com on the homepage and click on the red button where it says guests favourite places in London, click here for your free copy. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did creating it for you. Keep listening, best wishes and keep safe. Steve. So we're, we're back this morning with Chrissy Levitt, take two, and I'm glad you're still smiling, Chrissy, because yesterday, as we said, didn't quite work out um, for various technical reasons. And I, um, oh, what, are the, what is the expression of bad work, but never blames his tools. So I'm not going to do that. So it's lovely to have Chrissy Levitt, although I should say where I am, I'm recording from home and next door, they've got major construction works going on. And they have done right through lockdown, which has been a real pain in the, the backside. And this morning, just as we were about to start, they started using one of these mechanical digging things that tamp down gravel, you know, if you're laying a patio. And the noise was just horrific. So I had to go out there and ask them to give us a, an hour's an hour's peace, oh, which they've done. They, they, they're I'm good so guys. Sorry. They are good guys. No, 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 not your fault. Anyway. Welcome to the show, Chrissy. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast this morning. Um, I'm going to give a brief introduction so people know all about. <laughs> She's smiling. She knows why. Chrissy Levitt is a London-based creative director who studied graphic design and communications at the Royal College of Art right here in London. She's won a number of industry awards for branding. She's a TEDx speaker, a newly published author. We'll have to talk about that. Your your it's a new book, not published just yet. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Newly published author believing creative thinking is vital for us to solve the world's greatest challenges. She's also founder or, and CEO of Creative Conscience, a global movement set up to encourage, reward, train and support creative thinkers to use their talents for social and environmental impact. 
I think I got it all in. What do you reckon? Yes. Welcome. It's good to have you on. A lady of many talents, clearly, and still smiling. How are you doing, Chrissy? Oh, Steve, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. I say us because we're a community. Thank you so much for having us um, on the podcast. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to be here. No, it's a pleasure to have you on. And as I said, after a couple of um, near misses, we finally we finally get together uh, on what is going to be the hottest day of the year. It's already um, nearing 25. What is it? It's 20 to 10. And when I came out this morning, my thermometer, which is stuck up against my shed, was reading 40 degrees. It is in the direct sun, but it is very warm in my office this morning. So bear with us. I'm glad this isn't uh, this isn't visual. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're sitting here in our underpants. Well, <laughs> uh, shh, don't tell everyone. <laughs> okay, they'll, keep they'll it all, clean. They'll all want behind the scenes pictures, which isn't what we're going to provide them with today. <laughs> but we are we are looking fairly cool today. So, Chrissy, creativity. I've got to ask because. Everything you do is all about creativity and working with creative people to produce good things for the benefit of the wider community and the world in general, from a social and moral and ethical point of view, I'm guessing. I've got to ask one question. What is a creative? How do you define a creative person? Am I a creative by doing a podcast? Because I believe personally, from a personal point of view, I don't have a creative bone in my body having been brought up, <laughs> having, having probably had creativity beaten out of me as a kid at school, uh, never had anyone talk to me about being creative, never lifted a, a pen or an art, artist brush in, in anger. So what, what, is, what is creativity, first of all, in your mind? Well, it's exactly what you said. It, it's, it's you, it's I, it's, it's about being a human being. We're all creative and I think that you've summed it up. We had a very brief conversation yesterday, didn't we, when it, before it all went a bit wrong with our, Pete our Tom. tech. Yes. All of us, every person on the planet is creative. We're all creative. And I think if you've ever had an idea, you're creative. It's just our education system doesn't isn't set up to understand the value of creative thinking and it's sort of a broken model that has been based on a very old social and economic system and we're you know as an organization are all about sort of challenging that and changing the way education systems work and to get people to understand the power of creativity so you said to me yesterday I'm not creative and I sort of challenged you on that the fact that you've built organized this particular podcast means you are creative but it, I don't feel like I'm – yeah, it's funny, actually. <laughs> no, I'm saying it. <laughs> I understand why people say that, and I, I sort of wanted to believe, want to believe that I have some creativity, some creative juices in me. But you have. You wouldn't have built this yeah. if you weren't creative. You wouldn't – you know, you're doing your job, you're collecting over all the years of your work, collecting people's stories and loving that, and that's a leap to go from what you do day to day to building this that's something creative that's a piece of social entrepreneurship right there in that moment and if you weren't if you had no creative thoughts in your mind you wouldn't have taken that leap it's just we don't understand that society doesn't doesn't sort of value that as as creativity it's all put into boxes and silos you know you're a musician or you're a dancer or you're an artist or you're this or you're that and life isn't like that. And that's precisely why I personally believe that our society isn't working for us and, and that we've got 
probably the most miserable, over, you know, prescribed on medication, unhappy society, you know, obese, you know, society since the dawn of time because our education system is not serving us. That's what, well, that's what I believe. No, it's interesting. And as you're saying that, my mind, my mind is, is worrying. And obviously, you're talking, you know, men, mental health is obviously a big thing and creativity serves to improve mental health. So it must be, it must get to the core of who we are and what we are, because oftentimes I, I've been in around mental health, people suffering from mental health, all, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my life within my family and without my family. And I, I, I know that people are going to provide creative projects for people suffering with mental health to do. It provides a really good uplifting Yes, project. absolutely. It really, I mean, really improves, it lifts people's spirits, doesn't it? Yeah, we have the research and the data now through the work that we do, and it's absolutely proven. And yet, you know, if you listen to someone like, you know, Sir Ken Robinson's TED Talk on why creativity, you know, why schools are getting creativity, it's because the system's broken. We don't value that part of our brain. We value what serves a broken economic system, which is all about getting people to consume and buy and do all of this sort of stuff. If we, if we, if we switch that, then we would have a much happier, healthy society. It's, it's very simple. I mean, we, we, we have research and data. Lots of people have the research and data. It's just our, sadly, our um, leaders don't quite see it like that. I mean, I always ask the question, oh, I wonder how many of our leaders actually studied the arts or went to an art school or, or studied music? I don't know, actually, because I've never researched it. But I'm probably 99.9% .9 sure not a single one of them. Hmm. It's a good question to ask, though, isn't it? It'd be fascinating to find the answer to that. And then we wonder why people have got mental health problems or they're not, they're not satisfied with their work and they're not because they're doing things that, that aren't serving them and they're not serving society in the way that, that it should. So there's a lot of people out there, I assume, who are screaming inwardly, silently, wanting, <laughs> wanting well, maybe may, may verbalising it as well, I don't know, want, wanting to do something creative, um, or not believing they're doing anything creative. And, and yet, I mean, there's, there's some wonderful books on creativity, which I'm sure you're familiar with. There's a wonderful book by Julia Cameron, The Artist's Way. There's another one by Twyla Tharp, The Creative Habit. And there's a new one I've just started uh, by a chap called Create, uh, Creative, calling by Chase Jarvis. Um, who was a photographer and he also set up one of the biggest online uh, communities for learning creative art if you like uh, and um, there's a there's a lovely line in here testimonial I don't never know what you call them by Brené Brown who I think you've you're very familiar with and I think big fan of Brené Brown and she's she she's quoted in here as saying there's a wild untamed connection between our inherent creativity and our yearning for a meaningful purpose-driven life and I think that goes to the heart of it, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a writer. I'm, you know, I'm, that's in the kind of bio bit because it just was part of a book. So I wrote a chapter in a book with um, 49 other female change makers. And so that was my first opportunity to write because I'm dyslexic and I always struggled with writing and reading. I don't read to this day. I, I listen to podcasts. You know, podcasts, podcasts. <laughs> and um, audiobooks have, have saved me, and I've I've had an awakening, I suppose, because of of that. But I'm writing a book now, which is all of creativity, purpose, and mental well being, because it's 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 
it's kind of mad, isn't it, that we that, that this isn't valued and yet it's in all of us. Um, and Benet Brown talks about the research she's done, she's done amazing research in this area where people have been shut down because of one experience that would have happened maybe by at school when they were very young by someone in authority and 90% of the time or 80% of the, the, the time it was around something creative. You can't do that, you're no good and it shut them down and it stopped that individual from exploring their creative superpowers. But I tell you this right now, Steve, we are all creative, every single one of us. And it's, it, and it's time that we understand that and we, we, we are willing to let go of our fear and explore that. I mean, you've done that. Like you've been saying, you've created this podcast, right? That's an act of creativity. And you're loving it, aren't you? I, I am loving it. But you mentioned a word in there, fear. And it's, it's never without fear. Yeah. Every time, every time, and I'm talking personally now, every time, I I'm interviewing a, you. Uh, 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 <laughs> that's fine. I feel like I'm being analysed here. That's great. Every time I set up an interview, we do the interview, it goes out, is published to the world. I, you know, you, pre- you shit yourself, quite frankly. Yes, because you think, scary. Is, it, is it worthy of being listened to? Is anybody going to come along and, or are they going to criticise you? It really is scary. Yeah. And that's exactly it. You know, fear stops us from being great. We always say to, to our young people, our community, great things happen to brave people. And that's absolutely true. So I guess we teach and we coach and we train people to get in touch with their creativity. And, it, and it's hard because you've had it beaten out of you, like you said, since you were a child. It was shut down for you. And, it, and nothing should be shut down for us. You know, anything is possible but I know you love doing this. I can tell you love doing it. You're doing it, you know, for love. And it comes, to, it absolutely comes through. And you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have done it if, if it, there wasn't something missing in you, in your, from your day job, if you like. And, and that's exactly the same for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, what I do here is, is completely, completely diametrically opposed to what I do in my day job. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. For, for, for every, every single aspect of it. Okay, so everybody's got creativity in them. Yes. How do they find what that spark is and, and what it's going to lead to in terms of what are they going to make? When I say make, I don't mean physically like a, you know, a piece of woodwork or something, but how do they know what it is they, they've made, put on this planet to do? How do they go about establishing that? Uh, well, yeah, that's a massive question. Come and do one of our workshops, I would say. <laughs> okay. Come and do a workshop with us, Creative Conscience, and if you do, you'd – you'd be supporting 100% of the fees would be going to the charity. So, yeah, it's a double winner. Well, what I would say is, personally, I would start with writing a list of all the things that you love doing, like, on, on a really kind of basic level. Do you love watching films? Do you love cooking? Do you love reading? What is it that m- makes you feel passionate? And from there, we get people to kind of really connect with that because those are generally the things that the creative part of them you know and it doesn't matter if you're a physicist or you know a policeman or a social worker or it doesn't it doesn't matter who you are it's just tapping into the things that you love and then connecting that with something and taking action it's all about taking action and then being fearless like you said you've created something and that's about putting it out there and, and being like Benet Brown talks again about 
being in in the game, you know, putting yourself out there. Being vulnerable. She taught a lot yeah, of vulnerability. Being, yeah, vulnerability. Which is tough for a lot of people. It's very difficult, isn't it, to overcome that that fear of uh, an anxiety of not being worthy, not being good enough, this imposter syndrome, which people talk about an awful lot. It's very tough. Absolutely. And that's in all of us. We can't escape that. That's part of our reptilian brain. You know, no one is without that fear. No one is without that self-doubt, unless, of course, you're an sociopath or a psychopath or something. It's in all of us. So it's recognizing that and going, okay, well, I understand that if I step out of my comfort zone, something amazing could happen. But you've got to take the action and you've got to step out of your comfort zone and you've got to understand that every single thing that we do is about choice. We have a choice. We have a choice if we're not happy with the way our life is is in this moment. What are we going to do to shift that? And that's a really powerful thing to think about. So when did you first become aware, A, of your creativity and B, make a decision to pursue that role in life? <laughs> well, I say everyone's got a choice. I kind of didn't have a choice because I was um, at school and I was just the thick kid, basically. I couldn't really read or write. I was stupid. I was stupid. Well, you weren't stupid. You, you must have been told by somebody. Or- yeah, in, in, in the traditional terms of schooling back in the sort of 70s, it, I, you know, I was stupid. I mean, my, I'm one of six kids. I'm the youngest. And my next brother up, actually, my parents was, were told that he was retarded. He's now a doctor. He's a surgeon. And so we were privileged enough to have a supportive family that understood that we weren't necessarily stupid, but not everyone was lucky as, as we were. And actually, the fact that I was labelled stupid made me all the more determined to give them the finger and prove them wrong. And the only thing that I could do was draw. I just sat in all my classes with my head down, drawing little things. That's all I did all day long. Books and books of scribbles. And I suppose someone recognised that that was something in me that I could do. And so then that was led me on a path of going to you know, art school or, and, and, and again, I think it drove me to want to be the best. So when was your, when was your dyslexia diagnosed? Was that at school or was that much later on in life? No, it was never, never diagnosed. It wasn't such a thing as dyslexia. It was just, you were just a thick kid or, you know, for those kids that might have, you know, ADHD or dyspraxia or all these things that now uh, have kind of labels, you know, you were, uh, hyperactive you couldn't sit still there were ants in your pants you know it just was it didn't really exist and then I suppose in the 80s it was there was that whole thing about it was middle it was middle class people trying to you know make excuses for their thick kids I should I should tell you at this point my wife is a, a special needs teacher uh, and a couple of years ago she used her creativity to leave main, mainstream education as a Senko special educational needs coordinator to set up her own business and charity assisting parents of kids with special needs, particularly ADHD and dyslexia. There you uh, go. But, 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 on the, but on the spectrum. And before I came on to speak to you, she said nearly all the kids she talks to and the parents she talks to the, uh, are the kids, they have an innate creativity that is just dying to get out and is way more important to them than their sort of intellectual ability, if you like. Yes, or, the, or traditional. It, yes, it's not as though you're 
you just think differently. You're not stupid. You just think differently. So that's how I discovered I was creative. I just sort of didn't really, I couldn't read or write very well. So it was just, that's where the way my brain developed. So, so how did you did you go from school to university, or did you go from school to art college, or what was the, what was the route you took? Yeah, I did a foundation actually at Kingston, and then went to Canterbury, uh, and it was a very really kind of scruffy art school down there. And um, yeah, funny story actually. There was this there was this grotty old art bar, smell of you know old beer and rolly ups and stuff, and there was this poster on on, on the art bar wall. And it was for a competition called the Cecil Beaton Vogue Illustration Awards. And I was doing kind of illustration, printmaking, graphics down there. And I said to my tutor, do you think, do you think I should send some stuff into this? And he said, yeah, 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 definitely send some stuff in. So I got some of these prints and I rolled them up, stuck them in the post. And to my utter surprise, because we were a nobody art school you know all the really talented people went to St Martin's you know central St Martin's here in London or all the kind of posh ones and uh anyway I sent these prints off and I got this letter in the post saying that I was a finalist and that my work was going to be hung in the Royal Academy oh crikey mad isn't it and uh, but I was the shyest thing so so shy and I was kind of scared of London as well I'd grown up grown up on just the outskirts and my parents were deeply religion, religious, so it was all very, you know, we lived a very closeted upbringing. And so I kind of came up to London, got lost on the tube, you know, terrified, came on my own, sort of arrived at the Royal Academy with sweeping marble, you know, echoing walls. You can imagine, terrified, sort of went up, found the place, and there was a sort of private view thing going on. And I stood there looking through my fringe with a big curly hair and, you know, shy, shy, super shy, didn't speak to a single person until about 10 minutes to the end. And this funny little old man, I shouldn't say funny little old man, but this old guy came up to me and started talking to me. And he was really sweet and lovely. And he said, do you know what? You should apply to go to the Royal College of Art. He was quite well spoken. And I thought, what's the Royal College of Art? Never even heard of it. He gave me his card. I didn't even look at it. I was so nervous. I sort of stuffed it in my pocket and scurried off back on the tube and back down to Canterbury. And I pulled it out on the on the on the tube. And you'll never guess who it was that I spoke to. It was Sir Quentin Blake, the famous illustrator who does all the, the Royal Dow books. And I thought, Funny Blimey. little man. Funny little man. <laughs> you better I take that back now. <laughs> no, well, he's an amazing man. But I remember thinking that, you know, because he was old, you know, he was older than me and he's sort of, I don't know. Anyway, I went back to the art school and said, I'm going to apply to the Royal College. And they just laughed at me. Like the head of school there was um, a guy called Peter Sullivan who used to illustrate for, I don't know, you know, Sunday Times or something. He was very old school sort of said, don't, you know, don't bother with that, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, stuff him. I'm going to do it anyway. And applied. And, you know, in those days, you didn't pay for, for your education, which was amazing. So I got to go and I went to the Royal College and that just completely transformed my, my career. So, yeah, again, great things happen to brave people. You know, um, I suppose I was brave to send that work in and brave to go to that 
private view and brave to apply. So it's, I, I suppose the lesson is stepping out of your comfort zone. Just do something you've never done before. It's, it's magic can happen. Do you think you're braver now than when you were younger in terms of making decisions? Those sort of decisions I make. I don't mean financial decisions. No, particularly. I don't. I don't actually. I think actually life kind of can beat you down and you become more and more fearful. It's a constant practice, I think, to be brave. You know, it's constantly, but again, I go back to Benet Brown's work, getting into the arena, putting yourself out there, you know, putting these podcasts on. It's brave. You're being, you're being judged or you think you're being judged. But it's, it really is magical. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Let's take a very quick break just to remind you, if you love the show and would like to get involved, grab some cool stuff, get shout-outs on the show, have us create your very own London Legacy show, or you meet up with us in London for a coffee or something stronger, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London Legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. So we've established what everybody's got creative spark in them. Everybody's got to find the passion in them that can drive that creative spark. You've got to be a little bit pushy and a little bit mad. You've got to put stuff out there, be, be fearless. But how do you combine that with the social conscience bit, which is what you're all about in your organization? Well, t- tell us a bit about your organization, first of all. Okay, so we built this platform in 2012. And it's basically a community built organization. It's a global platform. And it's really to encourage creative thinkers to use their talent for social and environmental impact. And it could be anything, anything at all. You could run a community project, you could do a piece of sculpture, you could make a documentary film around injustice. You know, it's really, really broad ranging. And the way we connect with young people is we decided to build a competition and we just stuck it out into the universe and it just took off. And since we've launched, we've had over 4,000 projects sent our way from young kids, not all young people, actually, people who are in some sort of education from over 70 nationalities. And every single project, Steve, every single one, has had social environmental impact at its core. And one of those projects uh, was done by a young girl, a Romanian girl actually, who was studying here in the UK. It was a project on teenage suicide and bullying. She came and did an internship at the agency I was at at the time, but that project was launched online and it touched the lives of millions and millions of young people across the world. I can imagine. What form did that project take? Was it, it was, photographic? Um, it was or? a graphic novel, like a grown-up cartoon book, if you like. And what was her background? Had she ha- ever done anything remotely similar in the past? Or? She'd been bullied. But she'd had no creative, or she wasn't oh, aware she was studying. She, had- she was studying, to, she was studying animation and, and illustration. But we work with people who generally, you know, have some sort of creativity. But we also work with kind of corporates and businesses and people individuals who just want to tap into how you know their creative spirit um and when you said you have to be a bit pushy and you have to be a a bit out there I'd like to challenge that actually because you don't you could just start by doing a night school in pottery or you know do a creative writing course or decide that you're going to learn to play the guitar you know it's step by step 
it's just tapping into that, I suppose. So, yeah, that's our organisation. We're a charity. We are, you know, built by a community. So how did it come about? What, what, what was your inspiration? What was your moment that, that made you think, hang on, I'm creative. I know lots of creative people. What can we do to improve, improve the world, society at large? It's a bit of a long story. I did this book called, it's, it, it's an Ignite book um, that are publishers based in Canada. And in that, there's a chapter about sort of how it came about. It's called Creative Change Makers, Female Creative Change Makers. But in a nutshell, I was working for an agency. I, was, um, I live here in North London. I was working at an agency just behind Euston Station, and we did lots of branding and packaging and I was pretty miserable. I realized that what I was doing was basically destroying my children's future by selling people crap they didn't need. And it wasn't sitting well with me and I didn't really know what to do about it. Years before in my 20s, I'd worked for NGOs and I'd traveled into lots of into the developing world and you'd used graphics and design to save people's lives. But then you know, life takes you on a journey, you have children, you can't really be in, you know, Angola or somewhere, you need to be, you know, doing, being a mom and doing all that. And so I got sort of sucked into this corporate world. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I loved, I loved my job, I loved the people, it was, it was, we were doing beautiful things. But it was just shit, you know, <laughs> it was just landfill, basically. And I did this course, and it was, again, you know, doing something that I didn't really want want to do and it was a self-expression and leadership course and in that course we had to build a community project it was brilliant um, and the community project that I built was this thing called creative conscience and they sort of took you through a, through a process of, of and, and because we were all in the room building these every one of us in the room is building a community project we supported each other and it was really great. And that, so that's how it started. Um, and I just started reaching out to people. I just started writing to people like it was a, th a future truth. So we're building this thing. It's called Creative Conscience. This is what it's about. Do you want to get involved? And I wrote to you know, Zaha Hadid and Vivian Westwood and Thomas Heatherwick and Sebastian Conran and all these kind of famous creatives and designers. And, and some of them said yes. Quentin Blake. <laughs> did he say? Did he remind him of the uh, your chance chance meeting? Well, the funny thing is, one of the reasons why the idea was to do a competition was because of what had happened to me. Like, if I hadn't entered that competition, I would never have met him. I'd never would have gone to the Royal College. So that, yeah, that was. And I wrote to him and I told him that story. And he's obviously he's over 80 now. And he set up something called the Museum of Illustration at King's Cross. If any of you are interested, it's a really lovely little museum uh, there. And so I wrote to him and he came to our very first awards and he's an ambassador for Creative Conscience. Yeah. You better take it back than what you said. <laughs> I know, it's so rude. I do tend to say things. I'm a, I am a bit, you know... ADHD. I do tend to say things without thinking. Sorry. Just blurt them out. That's okay. He knows I think he's amazing and <laughs> love him dearly. So, how did you feel? You're, you're reaching out to all these well-known creative types and artists. 
how did you feel when you started to get responses? Were you completely flabbergasted? Did you expect to get? No. No, of course you don't, do you? No. You think nobody's going to bother to respond to me? No, like you, right? You ask people, yeah, you think, why are they talking to me? You know, I know. it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it's just, you just got to chuck stuff out into the universe. You just got to put stuff out there. And do you know, what's the worst thing can happen? It's like my mum always says, no, oh, they're only human. I mean, what's the difference between them and them and us? I mean, my mum, bless her, she, um, she's 80 this year. She got an MBE for uh, the work she's oh, done for, uh, for for charity work, for mental health charity work. Um, her and my dad found a members of a charity, mental health charity. And she got um, ordered an MBE a couple of years back. And we went along to Buckingham Palace. And there was there was Prin- Prince Charles doing the old, you know, what the ceremony Yeah, flappy thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Sorry, that's a bit disrespectful. And, and there's very rigid rules. You've got to step out. You've got to come along. You've got to walk up and step back and bow and curtsy and only let him speak when he's in all this sort of stuff. My mum doesn't give a stuff about any of that. She, 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 you know, in her heyday, she's like, like, like Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, she carries on talking. And we're sitting there looking at her thinking, time to move on, time to move on. And I said to her at the end, why didn't, you know, you're, you're the only one who stood there like for much longer than it. She said, I don't care. I said, who's Prince Charles? <laughs> he's, a, he's only there. Yeah, she really. I think I love your mum. We, we <laughs> must connect because we do lots of work with mental health. So I'd love to. We'll take that offline. 100%. 100%. Collaboration. It's all about collaboration. It certainly is. And I'll tell you what, I've met some phenomenal people doing this podcast. And that that's the thing that lifts me, my spirits and, and gives me a buzz. I get all emotional about it, quite frankly. Some of the connections I've made and some of the people I've met and some of the friends I've, you know, even if they are just sort of virtual friends. Um, because before, before um, to say virtual, before lockdown came in, I was talking to one of my early guests, a wonderful chap called Phil Ryan. He's a wonderful musician. And he was the, he's the founder of um, Big Issue. Big Issue. He's the founder, founder co-founder of the Big Issue. And um, we were talking about taking this podcast offline into 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 the real world and then of course lockdown came along so all those plans were scuppered but um well we'll have to continue with that afterwards with great it's people fun. like it's you, gonna and Phil. you. And I know it's gonna I know I know it's I all about collaboration it's all about human connection you know that's that's what I think you know that's one of the things I think is wrong with what's going on with the world is that we've been sold this lie about individualism that you know it's all about me me I and actually, I believe individualism is killing our society and, and worse still, destroying our planet. And we've got to get back to community. We've got to get back to, to sharing and love. And I listened to that amazing podcast you did with Diane Gould. Was it the Pearly Diane Gould, the Pearly Queen. Queen. Yeah. And do you know what? I was absolutely blown away about that story and about how it was all set up. And she kept uh, for charity and for community, and she kept talking about love. And I thought, right on, sister, it is all about love. And we've lost that because we're just stuck in our stupid Instagrams and this ridiculous thing that we've got sucked into. And I think actually this COVID thing is a massive opportunity. Do you think it's going to last? I mean, it, it's wonderful. We go out walking every single day. We have done. I mean, that's been part of our exercise. Now it's become part of our daily routine, and we plan on doing that every day, irrespective of lockdown or not, going, going for a regular hour-long walk. And it's wonderful to see the parents connecting with their children and playing with their kids. And, and I, I know, you know, social distancing and all that. But now 
people gathering in, you know, in, in groups and playing sport together and doing all sorts of wonderful things. There seems to be so much more cohesion going on or the possibility of cohesion and people doing things for each other. Even the NHS responders, you know, going and doing things, all the volunteers, the three quarters of a million volunteers who are doing stuff. So there's people doing some really lovely work out there. Do you think COVID, excuse me, and lockdown is going to change the way we think? Or do you think it's a short term blip and we'll just get straight back to going into our cubicles and on the tube and all that sort of nonsense? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, without hope, we have nothing as human beings, right? And I believe we live in a very troubled world. So we have to remain hopeful. You know, if you lose uh, hope, or I mean, this this has been a very anxious time for many people, and what what comes with anxiety is fear because of, of the un, uncertain, the unknown, and fear shuts us down, as we've talked about in this conversation. I think it's very easy for someone like me to go, "Oh, this is great," you know. I'm not a single mum locked up with six kids in a, 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 a you know high rise in Hackney. So we've got to be really mindful of that. There's been awful, awful situations with domestic violence being on the rise and you know all sorts of awful things. But I think for those of us who are more privileged, we cannot allow it to go back to where it was. We have to lobby those in power. We have to be positive activists. We have to talk to, if those of us who are employed, talk to our employers and say, you know, I'm a woman, I've got children, I want to work from home this amount of time. I, we have to be proactive in keeping the good stuff. We can't just expect that it's going to happen without us taking action. So there's, um, there's a real need for us not to allow it to go back and keep those good things. But again, it's about us taking those steps and there's an amazing economist called Paul Romer who said, a Stanford economist who said, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Let's not waste this crisis. And so again, I would task you because I'm all about impact. I don't. I want to leave this conversation with encouraging people to take steps. What is it that you're going to keep that you've learned, the good things that you're going to keep from this situation? And what are you going to do to make it happen you said you're going to keep your daily walks mm, for sure i'm talking to your listeners now what are you going to make sure that you keep doing and you do not slip back in to that old system i'm really i'm a cyclist we we don't have a car and i've absolutely loved the clean air now sadiq khan who's our current mayor has said that he's going to do something like make london the cleanest city in the whole of Europe I'm all for that I'm going to support that because I suppose what upsets me is that our leaders don't seem to care that thousands of people millions of people actually across the world but thousands and thousands of people in inner cities in London are dying every year because of the pollution way more than are being taken from the COVID thing right why are we not treating that as, an, as much of an issue. Why is it okay for our children to be in schools right next to a dual carriageway and are sucking in these poisonous gases every single day? So let's notice the clean air. Let's decide that we don't want to go back to the way it was and let's all do something about it. It's funny, isn't it? Because when something like COVID comes along, it's a sudden 
acute problem which you can't avoid noticing and therefore you you have to be seen or government or official bodies have to be seen to be doing something to mitigate against it whereas something like as you're talking about for example pollution air pollution or it could be plastic pollution of the seas is something which is insidious and and thought of as fairly low level and background noise and therefore you can take slower steps and it takes takes this um, young girl um, whose name escapes me Greta again. Thunberg. Terrible. I said an age thing. I can't remember any names anymore. Greta Thunberg to come and to come and elevate and say, "Hang on a second, people. This isn't something which is chronic and this is slow and moving. This is happening now. This is real time. We need to take action." There's almost like a difference between this cliff edge scenario and this thing which is like a plateau of of crap, <laughs> crapness. If there's such a word, if there's such a word. And it takes something really serious, like a war or a disease, to, to wake people up and shake them out of their lethargy. I hope this is a huge awakening for humanity. I mean, the fact that it affected the whole planet, I'm really, really hopeful. I have to stay hopeful because, you know, I get quite, because the work we do, you know, we are always dealing with social environmental issues and it can get quite, oh, you know, like, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it as, hum- as, as humanity, as sapiens. We're not going to change quickly enough. We're not. We're not intelligent enough. We're just walking over <laughs> clear. So, give us some other examples of some uh, some other uh, projects that uh, you've had recently. Successful projects, well, not even successful ones. Ones that have just uh, you know inspired inspired communities. We've had um, because we do this award thing every year for people to enter right from around the world, and um, they're generally. It's people over anyone over eighteen that is in education, basically, or has been in the last few years, can enter a project, anything they like, as long as it sits in line with our aims, and it runs from sort of September, October time right through to sort of um, April, May, and we had a project. So we're looking at all these hundreds of projects right now. That's what we're going through, and we had a project come in from um, some Danish lads, and it was. It was, it was a poster and it was made from ice and it was about the fact that the Danish government were, and I might get this wrong because it's a bit fuzzy in my head, I need to dive a bit deeper in, but it's an amazing project. They weren't talking about environmental, environmental issues during their um, election campaign. None of, the, none of the parties were. And so what these kids did was they made these posters out of ice and they put them up in the city and they slowly melted. And then they got the press and the people to start talking about it and they ran a whole social media campaign and it suddenly became part of the conversation. And so those kids, say kids, you know, they're 18, 19 years old, they are compared to <laughs> me being such an old fart, but those lads, girls, boys, created that and it changed the course of that movement, you know, the, the, the conversation. And so I guess for me that's really powerful because they took action. They created impact. We have other young people who have gone out into the community and have built community projects, not necessarily creative projects, but the process of doing it has been a creative process, just like you with your podcast. So there's loads and loads of projects on our website um, if you want to see, if you just go into the awards part of what we do, you will see films, you know, around injustice. Oh, one lad last year, I'll give him a shout out, called Jake Alexander. 
mixed race lad did a project around systemic racism and it was a, it was a children's book and it, it won an award with us last year a gold award and when all this stuff kicked off in the states I contacted him and I said you know this we need to be talking about your project right now because it's a moment in history and it's really important and he'd actually won another award for Macmillan and his book is being published and we've had conversations with people in the States and they want a, a friend of ours, one of our trustees, soon to be trustees and a mentor to me, wants to publish another book with him. So again, it's all about connections, but an amazing project, an amazing, amazing project. And it came from his personal experience of being mixed race and, and living in a really white city, you know, kind of, um, place in 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 England in the UK, so it's kind of tapping into your own story, and then creating something from that. Like for me, I see your story, Steve, as being collecting all the stories through your work. But then, obviously, you've been influenced by your parents. I would say, and the yeah, good work, <laughs> yeah, and the good work that they do, and the selfless community work that they do about being service to others. When I started the podcast, it all starts, people have heard this story probably a million times now. It started when I was in hospital, or the, 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 the germ of the idea started when I was in hospital two, two, maybe three years ago now, I can't remember. And I couldn't move, I was flat on my back, so I couldn't listen to, I had two back operations in quick succession, I couldn't sit up, I couldn't move very well. So the only thing I could do to keep myself entertained was listen to radio programs, audio books and podcasts. So that's really my first introduction to podcasts. When I came out of hospital, I thought, I like podcasts. That's really good and informative. How can I use a pod? Can I create my own podcast? But the idea then was to drive, use it as a marketing vehicle for my business. Cut a very long story short. I, I, I found through doing some research, taking some action, as you would say, I came across a brilliant guy called Mark Asquith, the British partner, English partner of one of the biggest American podcasters, John Lee Dumas, who mentored me through the process of setting up a podcast. And I came to the realization that doing it as a marketing tool was just going to bore the pants off me because it's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something completely different from my business, which was insurance claims. So he said to me, well, what is it that inspires you? What is it that motivates you? And what are you good at? So I said, well, I think I'm good at talking to people in a one-to-one -one basis. My job has always taken me out into London and meeting people and interviewing them. So I like going out. and I, I love London. So we combined all of that into your London legacy. There you go. And, and here we are, two, two years on, and I don't know what number guests you are, getting on for nearly 100 guests. So it, it is all about deciding what it is you want to do and, leave, as you said, leaving little snippets. I mean, you know, it's not a major piece of work that I'm doing, but it will ultimately be a collection of of I stuff know. that people can look back Maybe on. it will. Maybe, Maybe it will. Wow. Maybe. <laughs> You've got a great voice. I keep well, telling you that. You oh, sound God, like, you're, you're, I, you're, I'm hello, blushing. audience. I'd just like to say that I thought Steve was kind of, you know, one of those smooth, smooth jazz presenters that you get. <laughs> and I, I couldn't jazz believe it when I, when I dug a bit deep and he was um, um, into sort of insurance claims. I was very surprised. So you've got the right voice, Steve. That's what I can say. If only my voice helped me settle more claims, that would be that would be good. Mm. But uh, I, I think that what's telling for me out of that is this idea that some, I also say that out of despair comes great learnings, and you were in a place of despair. You were there. You couldn't move. Something happened to you, and then you learned by that. 
And we see it time and time again with these young people who engage quite often, not always, but quite often the most powerful projects like Jake's, like Eleanor's, have come from a place of despair. And it's tapping into that. And that's what we do with our training is we get people to tap in with what they love and into a complaint. I saw, yes, I, I saw this. I was just thinking, changing the word from despair for complaint. So it's a problem, it's an issue, it's a concern you've got. Because you mentioned this in your TED Talk, didn't you? You said you've got to have an idea, you've got to love what you're doing, and you've got to have a complaint. I thought, what do you mean a complaint? But I suppose if you transpo- transpose that word complaint for a, an issue, a concern, despair, despair. You, yes. despairing of something, a complaint about something, I suppose that's… Then you can change the world if you mash those things together. You can change your life. You can change the life of those around you. You can change the world. You know, we always say, I always say, we don't have a right really to complain about anything unless we're willing to do something about it. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, we're just moaners and gossips and... Exactly. Yeah. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in in listening to someone complain. Whinging. Unless they're willing to take action. And it's when you get that, your whole world can change. And I think you said at the beginning you have a workshop around getting people to form ideas and develop an idea or a complaint. Yeah, and, we're and, actually, uh, we're doing one, and it's um, it's going to start on the 21st of July. Um, and if anyone wants to, to get involved with it, it's a summer school, actually. It's just, it's yeah, it's very light touch. It's... Um, Online or <laughs> uh, yeah, it's going to be virtual. So it'll be we'll be talking like this, a small group, and out of that will come a, a project, a creative project to positively change the world. So if anyone's interested in that, get in touch with us, um, and we'll send you some information. It's loads and loads of fun. It's full of hope and it's full of action. Oh, it sounds fantastic. We've been going nearly an hour, and I'm mindful of uh, taking up too much of your time and also the contractors next door about to start drilling again because i said please give me an hour of, of peace and i don't want drilling to sort of destroy the uh, the quality of the audio here so in wrapping up what have you got on next you've got this course coming up next you have you've got your book tell us a bit about your book well yeah so that's a bit frightening being a dyslexic dyspraxic buffoon yeah again i've never done anything well i have i did wrote this chapter which was a big sort of thing for me because I've always felt quite stupid in that world yeah I've got this book that I'm writing I don't know quite what the title is it's all but it's about creativity purpose and mental health well-being so that I'm doing that on the side we run our awards we've got our you know charity we're a community get involved um yeah that's sort of just just what we're doing we're just doing stuff (laughs) Fantastic. And how can people find you, find out uh, where, where to find Creative Conscience, you know, your social media website? Tell us about that. Yeah, we've got a website, which is just um, www.creative and then hyphen conscience, which is like conscience.org.uk. We've also got an Instagram, um, Twitter, and I call it Faceache account. And that's just at CCC. CC Changemakers or Creative Conscious. But you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just Chrissy Levet, L E V E T T, and Chrissy with a Y. 
C-H-R-I-S-S-Y. Just reach out. I'll always, always get in touch. If you write to hello at, we will always, always respond. We always respond. We, yeah, we're just a really lovely community of positive change makers. That's brilliant. And I'm not going to let you go without asking the question I ask all my guests at this point in our conversation. And I hope you're prepared because you had it, you had a, you had over you had overnight <laughs> to think about it. Couple of one or two of your favourite places in London that maybe not everybody knows about that is, but that is personal or means something to you. Yes, well, there is one, but I felt like I didn't want to tell anyone because it's quite <laughs> secret, and I didn't want it to suddenly have all the millions of, of listeners—they're going to charge down there. Okay, well. Look, yeah, I'm going to tell tell you two big places which are personal to me. Obviously, the Royal Academy because I had that strange experience. The V&A. I mean, it is full of amazing, beautiful artifacts, and it's I think it's still free to go in. And I say I that believe because it is amazing. And there's amazing museums across London that are free. I mean, I love this city. I love this country. We used to do life drawing in the back of the V&A as a student, and I love that. But my secret place is in Islington and it's called New River Walk and it has an amazing history to it. It was set up in the 1600s and it's not actually new and it's not actually a river. <laughs> Is it but a walk? It's a walk. It, it's what it was in 1600. They wanted to bring clean drinking water into the city and they only had the Thames. Check out the history of it. But there is a walk that goes all the way, it finishes sort of in Islington, but it goes all the way out to Hereford and I used to take my two little boys when they were little my two boys because they're big now we used to my partner Andy we used to walk not my ex-partner Andy we used to take the boys for walks and you could see king we saw kingfishers and there was frogs and frogs born and it's a beautiful secret little walk uh, in Islington and goes up so that's that's a, a magical place that's great um that's wonderful and there, there's Certainly not had that one on the podcast before, and you'd have thought with all the various people we've had on, we'd have covered it. But London is such an amazing, <laughs> amazing, diverse place. It's great to have um, new, interesting places to to add to the list. Because I've built up a compendium, and you can download as a PDF. You can download. You just go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com. You can click on the link there and download the PDF where we're gathering all the guest favourite places. So we'll add that one to the list one day as well. Well, Chrissy, it's been lovely to have your smiling face. <laughs> He's still smiling on the podcast today. And just I just say keep up the great work. It's it's fascinating. I'm gonna follow you very closely now. I'm gonna see all all, all, all the great work that you that you do. Um, and we'll have to talk offline about, you know, sharing sharing some ideas as well. Yeah, thank you just so much for giving us this platform. We're so grateful to be listened to and, and good luck with it. And we're really, really grateful, Steve. Thank you. Pleasure. I absolutely love creating Your London Legacy for you, and the feedback and testimonials are awesome. But as it grows, so it consumes more and more resources. So I've joined forces with Patreon, a really cool place where you can show your love and support from just as little as $2 a month as a silver Londoner, right up to $300 per month where you get the crown jewels. Each level of subscription opens up a host of exclusive extra goodies, events, bonus shows, and sponsorship opportunities only available via, via Patreon. I do hope you'll continue to support what we're doing here, and I'm so grateful for whatever you feel able to give. So please head over to www.patreon.com forward slash Your London Legacy. That's www.patreon.com 
forward slash your London legacy.